0: Hey friends, this is Katie Price. You are listening to Everyday Grace, the podcast. And Welcome, so this week I have somebody I'm really excited for you to hear from, my friend Suzanne. So Suzanne DeWitt Hall is a writer, Um, she's an activist for LGBTQ rights and protections, um, and she is the author of two devotionals, Where True Love Is, is the first one, and the second one, which is coming out soon, is called Transfigured. And both of those were created for the LGBTQ community and um, of which she is a part. And she also has written a series of children's books about her dog Rumpel Pimple, which is super fun. Um, so Suzanne is going to chat with me today about her experience um, being gay in the church and how that has affected her life um, and her, just her story and um, and her faith. So I'm really um, I'm really hoping that her journey will um, kind of raise awareness for some people that, uh, that, you know, of the experiences that LGBTQ individuals do go through in our churches. Um, I think this is an issue that the church has struggled with, um, both, uh, you know, morally and theologically, but also in how we treat people. So it's been, you know, not just a theological issue, but also a social issue because, you know, the people behind the issue are in fact people. And so I think sometimes we forget that, especially if we don't have any close friends uh friends who are part of that community we might forget that you know in all of our arguing these folks are humans with hearts and feelings and life experiences and um you know whether you agree with being gay or not um you know suzanne's story i think is is uh very eye-opening um just so that you can see kind of, so that we can see how people are treated uh, in our churches. So um, I'll let her tell you more about it, but uh, just to give you a refresher, if this is your first time listening, um, the Everyday Grace podcast is all about finding goodness in the ordinary and and um, how, you know, grace changes everything. And this series in particular is called You Can Sit With Us. And what we're trying to do is, um, you know, be a people who truly resembles Christ. In that, uh, a, so a friend of mine told me this week a quote that I loved, um, and my friend Christina, and she got it from Glennon Doyle, who I also love. Um, and it was this idea that um, the most world changing posture is arms wide open. And Jesus taught us that on the cross, and gosh, I love that so much. So um, my friend actually has a tattoo on her arm that says, Love Wins. um, And it's kind of, it's situated on her arm so that, you know, it kind of invites you to think of her arms wide open. So I love that um and I want to live that way too and so the you can sit with us series the idea behind it is that the church would have its arms wide open to everyone that we would be kind of like the kid in a school cafeteria who stands up um, when we see the new kid and we say hey over here you can sit with us so um you know I think that that our role in this world, if we're going to be salt and light, if we're going to be, you know, the bride of the revolutionary Jesus, um, we need to be people who are opening our arms, not just to people we're comfortable with, but also to the marginalized and also to the people who are different from us. Um, because often those people are the ones who are going to need the most protection and, and who are going to need friends. And, um, you know, Jesus was a friend to just about everyone he met. So, um, you know, and he also challenged people too. So um, I'm not saying you know that we should uh, we shouldn't challenge each other to live our best lives and live our best selves um, and always be authentic and striving to be more like Jesus. but um, generally, the people that that uh, Jesus challenged were the religious people who kind of were really legalistic. and so um, anyway. So we we don't want to be those kind of people, right? We want to be the church with our arms wide open, and so that's what the You Can Sit With Us series is all about, and so we're interviewing people from, um, you know, marginalized walks of life who have not always been welcomed into the church wholeheartedly, and uh, we want to change that. So Suzanne's story, I think, will give you some insight. If you're not an LGBTQ individual, if you don't know anyone who is, or you don't know very many people who are, Um, I think Suzanne's story will be really valuable to you. Um, It's really valuable to me to hear what she's gone through. So um, without further ado, I will let her tell you her story. So here is my chat with Suzanne.
1: Hi, how are you? I am well. I haven't used this particular app before, so it'll be interesting. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Okay, great. Well, I'm so excited to chat with you today. Um, I love interacting with you on Facebook. I, I don't know how we met. We met through some some Facebook magic went into that, I think.
1: Yeah, maybe through one of the Christian bloggers pages or something. It could be.
0: It could be that. But um, I've just been – I love everything that you post, and um, it's been really cool to connect with you. So. Well, thank um, you, and I feel
1: the same way. Aw. Aw. <laughs> So hi there. How's your day going? It's been fun. We just ran up to um, the, the big city to drop off some books at a bookstore that accepted um, my devotional for consignment, so I was pretty excited about that.
0: That is so exciting. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that is great. Yeah, and I definitely want you to tell the listeners about you know what you do and your work and everything um, as well and where they can find you. But first, I would love to uh, kind of give everybody a brief overview of your story and kind of let them know where you're coming from and your perspective here. So so if you just want to jump in, kind of give us, give us an
1: idea, that'd be wonderful. Sure. Um, so I'm in my early 50s and I was raised without any kind of denominational affiliation. Uh, my parents didn't work church people. Um, I went to Bible like, Bible um, summer camp a couple times, vacation Bible school. That's the word I was looking for, but really had no exposure to church. And then I started going to an Episcopal church when I dated my boyfriend throughout high school. And so that became my point of reference for church. But we didn't mm-hmm. go as a couple. Um, we eventually married and had two kids. And You know, it wasn't, he's, he isn't a religious person. And I, I think I was always spiritually hungry, but didn't have a faith background really to rely on. Mm. And then as the reality of my really dysfunctional and unhappy marriage began to settle in heavily, um, that hunger kind of got supercharged. And my daughter, who was a teenager at a time, started attending a youth group. And I decided to, I better go and check out what it was like at the church um, because I had no idea if it was a safe place Mm -hmm. or whatever. And coming from an Episcopal background, they tend to be not terribly, they're not really like evangelistic in the way they, they interact with people, the way they market, et cetera. And this particular church had a big sign on the side that said, Jesus loves you, which you could see by the highway. It was like a billboard sign size. And so I, oh, wow. like, coming from this Episcopalian, you know, primarily Episcopalian um, view of church and, and sort of mode of operating Christian wise, you know, I was like, oh, maybe they're like really wacky there. So I better go check it out. So I, I went to make sure that my daughter was, you know, quote unquote, safe going there as a Presbyterian church. And it was very, very nice. And the people were very friendly. And I went in at a time where I was drinking alcohol heavily to self-medicate, kind of trying to turn myself into an alcoholic because I was so unhappy. And I never stopped attending church since that happened. So that's kind of like my faith background, my, my, my faith launch, I guess you would say. Um, yeah. So as, as that all was unfolding and my marriage was continuing to kind of go downhill, I started attending well, that Presbyterian church morphed into something different the pastor there left the denomination to start part of start a church that was part of a n- new movement called the charismatic Episcopal Church and that church that denomination is the the idea behind it is that it combines the three streams of the charismatic the evangelical and um, the liturgical so it had a liturgy like an Episcopal Church they would even do incense you know as the as the clergy was processing in and the choir, but they believed that the gifts of the spirit were so active. So you might have praying in tongues or healing, um, healing prayers. Um, you might, you know, see things like that. And they, they had contemporary worship music, but, and there was also the, the focus on the word, um, you know, that evangelical stream coming through. So it was a very cool environment. And I started studying the Roman Catholic faith intensively because I was sort of the, um, the default catechist for teaching people who hadn't had exposure to the liturgical church. And it's, you know, the way it functioned and and the background of those sort of practices to this Presbyterian group. Right. So I studied mm-hmm. and I wrote and I taught about those things and I be, kind of fell madly in love with um, Catholicism. So as part of that, you know, I was convinced that i would need to remain married married till death you know do us part even though i was desperately unhappy still in my marriage i was much happier in life having found god and you know transformed everything but my marriage still didn't get any better because the roots of its dysfunction you know went mm. went deep so i fell in love with catholicism started studying that and i Figured, okay, I'm just going to be married until I die. And that's just going to be how it is. So um, in walks this woman to the church with her family, her husband and her her daughter, they'd moved to the area. And she started, since they were new to the region, she started attending all the women's Bible studies so that she could form relationships. Um, and so mine, my study was one of them. And we became friends and um you know, prayed together for our families and took our kids out for field trips together and, you know, just became really close friends. And then after a couple of years, something shifted. And meanwhile, her marriage was also dysfunctional and was falling apart and something shifted and we ended up falling in love after being friends for a long time. And both of us didn't know how to handle it because her background was primarily Baptist which, you know, which thinks that homosexuality is, is, um, you know, a perversion or very sinful in, in, in the training that she'd received. My formation, as I said, was Roman Catholic, which refers to homosexual actions as intrinsically disordered. So, you know, we knew that we believed firmly that God had brought us together for a purpose. There is so much, um, so many th- things lining up and so much magic and beauty and fruit that was coming from our relationship that we knew that it had that it was a God thing. And yet you know it didn't line up with what we had been taught about the Bible. So our, our you know we this happened right at the tail end of the self-destruction of of our marriages. Um, now, the church that I mentioned that we were both going to is so, very socially conservative run by an all males rector's council led by a priest. And then there's the the council of priests that uh, kind of report up to a male bishop and on up to a patriarch. So you've got an all male structure, extremely socially conservative. And here we are, you know, they didn't know how to deal with our divorces, let alone with these two women who are now, you know, that they're thinking they're a couple, even though we haven't come out with it because we don't even know what to do. So, mm-hmm. um, So that's like all the, sorry, that was kind of a a long story, but, um, so that's, that's that's our whole, that's how I got to like recognize, um, where I, uh, you know, jumped into the LGBTQ, um, (laughs) spectrum.
0: Yeah. Okay. So when, okay. So you kind of told me when you realized that, um, you know, your sexuality was different from other people around you and you, it sounds like you guys kind of realized that together.
1: Yes, we both, okay. um, you know, our base orientation is heterosexual, but we're very much in love and our, you know, our marriage is, you know, we're, we're married now. Um, but our marriage is, is fully whole, you know, as, as a heterosexual marriage would be. It includes, um, the, the emotional, the intellectual, the spiritual and the physical. So it's, it's, you know, even though that we, our base is hetero, we are, um, we say that we're the Q in the LGBTQ alphabet soup because it's just something that falls out of the rest of the categories.
0: Yeah. So you said that you knew it was a God thing, and I totally know what you mean by that. But I want to go back to that because I feel like if I do my job right, hopefully there's going to be a diverse audience. And so some of the people listening who might come from a conservative Christian background might be a little bit confused or wanting more information about like putting your relationship in context in their mind. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I would love for you to just tell us a little bit more about when you knew it was a God thing, like mm-hmm. what kind of things, you know what I mean? Because I want people to be able to contextualize your relationship and, and help them see that it's not really that different from
1: their own marriage. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, you know, it's a little bit risky to talk about because part of it had to do with receiving dreams and visions. And, you know, a lot of people are just going to dismiss that as something coming out of your own psyche. Um, So part of it was that, for example, I had a dream. Now, this is when we were friends and our friendship went through phases. And the first phase, when Diane, my wife, came to the church and she started interacting with the various groups was that she put on a front that her marriage was great, that everything was fine. I mean, it had gone mm. through a bunch of rocky points. She had had to move all over the country because of various employment problems with um, her ex, and um, a number of other issues. Mm. And she desperately wanted things to be okay and for all to be well. They lived in a very nice house in a, in a wealthy neighborhood, and she put on a good show about how, you know, about everything, right? So at this stage I had a dream about her and I went to her house which I had never actually visited at that point. And she took me on a tour of the house and when she when it came to the bedrooms, I walked into her bedroom and I looked up at the ceiling and there was a giant hole with like the plaster falling. And like dirt and I mean, oh, I forgot to mention the house is immaculate because she was a super good. It also turned out I didn't know at the time, but she was almost like an OCD housekeeper at that time. She was a stay at home mom and she was, you know, meticulous about everything. So or, you mm-hmm. know, when she gave me this tour in this dream, everything's meticulous. We go in and I look up and there's this hole and it's, you know, it's dirty and it's um, dangerous. Um, and it's c- completely out of context with everything else I saw in this house and in this room. So, you know, I didn't know what to make of it. I didn't really know her that well. And I can't remember if I told her about it then because it just was odd, you know, and, you know, later in looking back and finding out what was going on with her and that how she had been hiding all this stuff and that how it was so such an image of what was happening with her interior life and with her, her, well, her marriage to her exterior life. That's one example. Now Diane had a bunch of visions about me also before we were a couple. She saw I was very um, involved with the church in um, administratively and in teaching. even though I was a female, I had been given a lot of um, responsibility and had helped get the church started. and um, I attended rector's council meetings even so I could take, you know, supposedly minutes, um, even though you no know, females were really supposed to be there. Um, I was, the, the priest was kind of my best friend at the time and, uh, where was I going to? Oh, so, um, but I was writing on the side and Mm -hmm. Diane started having, again, this is before she really knew me very well. She started having dreams of me dancing on the church lawn and no one was watching people, the people of the church were coming and going and no one was watching. And she didn't have any idea. And she said she was like spellbound in watching. And she had she had no idea why she was having the dreams. She didn't know why people weren't watching, but it was frustrating her because she wanted to say, "Look, look, she's dancing." And she had that she had dreams related to that um, variations of that. Um, wow. For a while. And then one day I used to sit my, you know, my family didn't come with me to church. I, and I sat by myself and I would take out rosary beads during parts of the service and hold them. And I'd been with the church a long time and she, she would look over to me and she didn't understand why I wasn't more connected to people, why people weren't reaching out to me. And, Mm. and she said that, you know, at times she would look and there'd be like, halo of focus around me and everything else would fade away and it would just be me and she didn't understand why because it it made no sense so it was a bunch of stuff like that and she didn't tell me most of this until um until our relationship had really deepened before you know kind of the the kick into romance or you know a romantic relationship but there were There were all these dreams um, like that, which were, I don't know if you've ever had dreams which feel more like visions that prophetic dreams that there's a, there's a different sensation. There's a different kind of a reality in them. Have you ever experienced anything like that? Um, So I have experienced like not
0: something like a vision, but not while I was asleep. So Uh it was kind of like a, um, there was a moment when I was kind of praying in a group of people and I saw this saw this kind of like mental picture in my mind that I don't think that got there from me. Like, I think it was a God thing, yeah. you know, the the Holy spirit showing me something that, 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 you know, freed me in a certain way from something mm. that I had been
1: uh, holding on to. So
0: I, I can relate a little First. bit to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, and that's what I was saying it's sort of a, uh... You know, dangerous. To, uh, dangerous isn't risky. I think was the word I used. Um, because a lot of people will just dismiss that. You know, they'll uh, that it's just a product of our, you know, imaginations that we're already headed toward romantic views or whatever. But but we know that that wasn't. We know where we were at the time, and we know that it wasn't like that until it was like that. If you know what I mean.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, and it sounds to me like you guys were you started out as friends, and then you became best friends, and then you just had this connection you know, that that blossomed into something more.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's I think exactly. a lot of people can relate to that. I think that's how a lot of relationships start, actually. So
1: it's yeah. the way that all relationships should start. I mean, I had this, you know, I started writing for a while about with this thing called marriage revolution, which someday I'll turn into more. But, um, you know, people jump into like infatuation, or they jump into bed or whatever, and then hope that, relationship is going to come out of it that's going to be (laughs) solid right I mean and so we tell our grandkid you know our eldest granddaughter who's a a young teenager and our and our other daughters who are not yet married um just to find your best friend and just Mm -hmm. you know just look for people who make you feel like your best self and that make you laugh and make you happy
0: yeah. And I'm sorry, I'm going off the rails of the questions that I sent you. So you're probably like, okay, we're just off. flying by the seat of our pants. Like um, so you mentioned that you didn't go to church with your family that you had kind of before you met uh, Diane. So, like, was your husband a believer? Did he, I mean, was he just not interested in church?
1: You know, he calls himself, a, well, called, I haven't, you know, spoken to him in almost a decade, but um, called himself, he called himself a Christian, but he was essentially an atheist. He really didn't, you know, he, he poo poohed the idea of God and he didn't know how to handle it. was, you know, it was a part of our marriage crisis was me going so deeply into faith because once I, once I started, I was like, you know, on fire and I wasn't trying to push it down his throat mm-hmm. because I knew that that was not one, it's not useful and effective. And two, it, you know, it wasn't going to be his thing. And I knew that. But, I mean, it pulled me, I was, got very involved in the church quickly. And in my free time, I did a lot of reading and studying and writing. And, you know, so it shifted. And, the, and I then had a lower tolerance for some of the social things that, you know, otherwise I would have had a higher tolerance for, you know, I, um, things that were on TV or whatever I wouldn't want to watch necessarily. You know, so so just, as, you know, I, so in his view, I think I became a lot less fun um you know in my view i became a lot more happy (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's funny how people's perceptions are so different
0: it is it is so when so i want to know kind of when did you come out to your loved ones and that can include you know your family people in the church or either or or both your friends you know how when did that how that process look and did you do that together with Diane? Did you guys do that separately? Were you in a relationship before you told anyone? Kind of what did that look like?
1: Well, it was messy um, because our own views required so much. I mean, we had to do so much studying to figure out what the heck God was doing, number one. So it's one thing if you know, if you have the conviction that it is God's will. And you know, that, that for some reason that you don't understand why, right. It seems shocking to even to you, but you're like, okay, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing with this, but okay. So it took us a while to even figure out what the heck was going on there. And then, you know, Diane's relationship with her, and her husband, they'd already split up and um, we're on a faster path of separating than mine were. So, mine ended up being much more explosive and destructive. And, you know, there were there were problems with um, my kids, and things like things like that. So there was a lot of mess involved in the early stage. Then there came the wave of parents, right telling our parents. Um, and weirdly, my mom was okay. I don't know that we actually had the conversation, but she figured it out if you know what I mean and weirdly my mom didn't seem to have a problem until we told her we were getting married and then she went silent for months and wouldn't like respond to we didn't live close to each other so you know it'd be like phone mm. calls or emails or whatever uh, that has just to be painful well you know my relationship with my mom has always been odd so um I just chalked it up to another one of those you know mm, one mm-hmm. of those oddities um So, and then she kind of got through that and then she started communicating with me and she came to our wedding. So. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So on Diane's side, however, um, her mom is a very faithful Christian and, um, you know, Southern Baptist uh, in her um, exposure. And she had a very hard time with it. Um, She thought Diane was going to go to hell she it it was hard, and some of the sister Keir, Diane has uh four other sisters um, some of them were more quick to accept, and some of them were were less quick um, and that caused Diane a lot of pain because there was a unity within her family, even though they're you know they this whole group lives in Florida and and you know we lived up in the north at the time there was still this unity and, and the sort of the family uh, culture was that there can be all kinds of bickering among everyone, um, but that they were one and then they were fiercely protective of each other. And if there was ever any kind of outside um, you know, threat of any kind, then there'd be a circling of the wagons and all that. And with this particular issue, she didn't see that in play and Mm. it was extremely painful for her the the good news is that over time her mom has really has really come around and she ended up surprising us by coming to the wedding and not telling us um which just you know i answered the door and just started crying and um diane was just so thrilled and and oh wow yeah And since then, you know, we've made a couple trips down there and, you know, I've really bonded with her and she sees our love. I helped care for her after she had her hip replaced. And um, she sees that we're just normal people, that her daughter is still the same daughter who's always loved God and that, you know, her her faith hasn't been lost. It's been strengthened. And that, you know, our, our partnership isn't sick and perverted. It's healthy and whole and full of Joy and life and love um, and, you know, helpfulness and all those things. So she was able to confront her own conceptions of what being gay means by experiencing our relationship.
0: Oh my goodness. I love that. I love the reconciliation yeah. there. That is such a great story.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's wonderful. But it was so, hard for her.
0: Oh, yeah. Of course. For
1: I both. mean, that's your mom. <laughs> right. And that's your daughter. I mean, she sincerely yeah. thought. That- you know that's it she's going to go to hell oh wow um so i
0: want to jump back to where you said it took you guys a while to study and figure out what god was doing i i would love to know, can you just give us like a uh you don't have to go into you know because i know there's a lot in there probably of what you guys did and right. all of the study that went into it but um can you give me a little bit more about that just kind of how did you because I'm sure people are wondering, you know, that is to some people, that's really difficult to reconcile, um, you know, with the Bible and everything. So I would love for you to tell us a little bit about how you came to the conclusion that, okay, this is what God is doing. And this is, you know, your studying process that went into that. Yes.
1: Well, we had um, kind of two different approaches. Jumped into reading people's work, like Matthew Vines wrote, God and the Gay Christian. He's a harvard um i think he was a harvard divinity school i don't remember if he's got his doctorate or i don't remember uh, but you know he was a divinity student and came out as gay and um approached the scriptures and and wrote a book that's become sort of an icon on the topic
0: What is that so book she... again Say that title for me one more time i'm sorry Sure.
1: god and the gay christian okay by, Ma- by matthew vines um so she jumped into like reading other people's work, and meanwhile, we we did Bible studies daily together. Anyway, as just as part of our spiritual discipline, we you know we'd always done that since we came together. For me, what I was finding as we were doing these Bible studies was that God was breathing uh, different perceptions different revelations through those words that i had never seen before. And it was happening all the time, like almost Mm. every day is too much, but you know, several times a week it'd be like, Holy cow, I can't believe I'd never seen that before. So I was compiling this big stack of pages from, um, We were using the Catholic daily readings from like a little booklet. I can't remember which one it's called. It's not daily bread, but you know, one of those Mm -hmm. kinds of things. So I'd be scrawling notes on those and ripping it out and putting it in my pile because I knew I was going to be working on a, I was going to be writing a book sometime um, on the topic as we were examining. And at the same time, I was looking at the clobber passages, which I had written about before, you know, from the opposite view. And trying to examine those scriptures that specifically, are used to say that having a same-sex relationship excludes you from God's grace. So, I was actively evaluating those. And so, at the same time, we're sharing what we're hearing, what we're learning, what we're thinking, what we're you know how we're how we're shifting our thoughts. Um, and we did this for several years. You know, we're still doing it. It's you know that doesn't stop. Um, but that's that was kind of the process for how we moved from one understanding to another it was slow it was steady and it was run by the Holy Spirit you, you know the Holy Spirit was in charge
0: yeah so it just it sounds like you prayed for a lot of discernment and you really searched the scriptures and you really you know did not just decide to, to do this lightly it sounds like you really put a lot of thought and prayer into it
1: yes I mean I think that God is, Christians are funny because we are supposed to be worshiping God and having a relationship with God. And we have somehow turned that around to be that we have a relationship with the Bible. Mm. And we, a lot of times are worshiping the Bible. You know, there's this bibliolatry concept that's alive and well and, and thriving. And we forget that The Bible is a collection of books and stories and letters about man's relationship with God. The Bible is not God.
0: (laughs) Right. So
1: I, I think that the power of revelation, when God is speaking to you and you feel that Holy Spirit light bulb go off where it didn't, I don't know if you had the experience, but it's like it didn't come from you. It's not like through your own thought you processed your way and then, you know, you were able to just come to a conclusion. There's there's sometimes where you could be contemplating something and then boom, something just like flies into your mind. And you're like, whoa, that's amazing. And and that sort of revelatory relational thing, I think, is so much more about you and God. Having a personal relationship with your Lord and Savior than picking out a few phrases in the Bible and using them as a bludgeon to to beat up people I mean which one is is more about your you and God together
0: yeah, I really love that you called that out sort of the um what what did you call it bibliolatry or biblia, the, yeah, bibliolatry, <laughs> biblical idolatry yeah. Oh my gosh, I, so, you know, obviously there's different denominations within the Christian family, and I think that, um, so here where I am, I'm in Kansas City, and there is a lot, a lot of, I mean, we're in the Bible Belt, so there's a lot of churches, period, but there's especially a lot of the, you know, Calvinist Reformed denomination, Mm. and, um, because there's a, there's a couple seminaries here. And one of them is Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. So there is a lot, a lot of like Calvinist Reformed theology floating around here, which there's a lot of different perspectives out there on the Bible. And um, that's just one of them. And it took me a really long time to figure out that it was just one of them. (laughs) Right. Um, Because sometimes, you know, what's in our world becomes like what we see the most becomes kind of the default Christian interpretation. And if we don't, take if we don't do the work to learn about other interpretations of the bible we can sometimes fall into using that as our lens you know to view the entire bible through and so then you get people who say well the bible clearly says this right and you know maybe it does maybe it doesn't but but we disregard the fact that we're viewing it through a lens and so um you know i totally agree with you i think that there are denominations out there and there are people out there who view the bible Really, as I mean, it is an idolatrous relationship with some people, Um, you know, the you're absolutely right. The Bible is not God. It's it's a great way to learn about God. And I believe that the Bible is true and I believe that there is wisdom in it. And, you know, I don't want anyone to think that I'm saying, oh, just throw the Bible out. That's not (laughs) not at all. Um, I love the Bible and I, I study it a lot. Um, but it is not God. And, you know, uh, it's been yeah. I
1: think I was prepared for this phase of my mission and ministry through my work in studying and teaching about sort of Catholic traditions mm-hmm. and how they still are manifested through non-Catholic traditions because you know they kind of started early and are still going. Um, but what I found in doing that work was confronting anti-Catholic bias that was a lot of times based on this sola scripture, a Bible alone theology. And that it was interestingly hypocritical because there's so much in so they're in in churches that are non-liturgical and that don't have like a you know 2,000 year tradition of teaching and don't have a catechism you know what they will have is they'll have a statement of faith which might be 35 pages long and have to explain <laughs> all the stuff that actually isn't in the bible but they need to explain how they're applying it and you know which of the creeds they do or do not adhere to and blah blah blah. they all have their own tradition it just might not be as old, and they all, as you said, every single denomination and every single Christian picks and chooses which scriptures they are going to say apply to Christians today. Right. Every single one. Of them. Um, and you know, one of the problems I I have encountered in my um, online uh, sort of online mission work, people who say, "Well, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God," therefore. The Bible is the word and therefore the Bible is God. So, you know, luckily that's not a huge portion of Christianity, but there are some people who believe that Jesus and the Bible are the same thing.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that. And like the, yeah. I, I think people get confused. That's why I, I struggle with referring to the Bible as the word of God because that, that word, word, you know, the word right. was with God and the word was God. Logos refers to Christ, you right. know, Christ not the Bible. Him. Right. And um, so I've struggled with that too. And I think that disentangling, you know, this idea that, um, you know, the Bible is God. I mean, I think, I think most people who – the bible in that kind of esteem don't really understand that that's what they're doing i think that um you know what they're trying to do is get at the root of who god is and and they are sort of you know they're they're thinking that the well the bible is the closest thing that we have to you know direct revelation from god and i don't think that they're wrong about that the bible is a wonderful resource it is a huge way probably the biggest way that we can learn about god however I do think it limits God to think that He cannot speak to us in any other way right than the Bible um and I think so some of our listeners might be thinking okay if you if you downplay the Bible, you know that means that how are we supposed to hear from God? How are we supposed to have a a measuring stick to uh, figure out if the thoughts that just pop into our head you know as as we were talking about and to figure out if that's from God or from someone else and and to those people, I would say. Um, you know, read the Bible, listen to the Holy Spirit, and also listen to people who are smarter than us. (laughs) Read commentaries, listen to church leadership. And this is one way in which I think that Protestants could learn from Catholics, um, because there is a long tradition of theologians writing about these things. And Uh, and giving us greater insight than maybe we have ourselves. And so if we combine that with the insight that we receive from the Holy Spirit, wisdom from other godly people and also the Bible, then we're going to be in good shape.
1: I think that's really smart. And, you know, one resource for um, uh, the people that you're talking about who, who might want to be digging deeper is uh, there's a three volume set. I'm sure there's other resources too, but there's a three volume printed set and you can find this stuff online of the fathers and the doctors of the church. And these are people some of them who are writing within the first couple centuries of of Jesus walking the earth. In some cases it's within within the century that they're writing letters to each other they're the first bishops and the first popes and stuff right they're they're writing letters to each other correcting various issues and and struggling through all the dissensions and stuff that happened back then and are still happening now. Mm because if you know here we are several thousand years later in a completely different cultural context with with extremely different language structure and language usage i mean hebrew the the communication in hebrew and communication in greek and aramaic are extremely different than contemporary you know american english and we're we're superimposing our american english interpretation right. So anyway, so you've got these, these resources of the fathers and doctors of the church, and you can look up passages and say, what did, you know, what were they talking about this particular passage back in the year 172 or whatever? So anyway, that's, a, that's, yeah, that's a really good resource for, for um, because I figured the, it's like the telephone game has gone, has, has gone a long way since Jesus told his stories,
0: <laughs> yes, and I absolutely believe that the Bible is a is a great resource, but I think that we have to understand it in context. We have to study and really make sure that we are treating it, you know, there's a verse that says, you know, make sure that you correctly handle the word of truth. Mm. And honestly, I think that some people in the church are are kind of failing to do that by just relying on what we've heard and what we've been handed. Um, you know, either by our denomination or just by the culture, and I I really want to see people dig deeper into the word and into the you know the the scriptures and also the cultural context and everything surrounding that the Greek and the Hebrew and I I would like to dig deeper as well and and you know I always try to to look up the etymology of things when I'm studying the word origins and everything and it really does illuminate a whole other layer of the scriptures
1: and technology has made it so much easier we used to have a bookshelf that you know had three different shelves yes Bible translations, right? And we would do our study, and I would have like five versions on the table. And now we just pull up Bible Gateway and, <laughs> and do our Bible Hub and look at a particular verse and see all the different ways that a particular phrase was translated. And sometimes they're significantly different. Yeah. And which one is the right one? You know, I mean, sometimes the meaning is is quite significantly different. Yeah. So. And which one is the right one, you know? Right. It's it's not straightforward. And 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 the thing is, there's so much depth and beauty to be explored. Yes. That's there that's you know, I, I think sometimes some Christians just throw out lines of scripture and they have this cardboard cutout view of kind of what God is and what and what these passages mean. Oh, it says clearly, right? Like you said, the word clearly. It says clearly right there. You know, in this one line that I've just extracted from this one epistle that Paul wrote, maybe Paul, maybe someone else, we're not really sure, you know, and and this means exactly this. Well, meanwhile, there's all this gorgeousness that's behind it and Mm -hmm. um, that that there's no risk. I think sometimes people think that there's risk that if they don't view the Bible the way they do right now, that their whole faith is going to fall apart. And the reality is that God created us to want to know him better. And there is no way he can fit inside a book. You know, you know. Yes. No way. And there's always more. And if 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 we're looking to earnestly understand, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid that maybe we're looking at it wrong right now. Right. We just ask the Holy Spirit, please show me, show me more, show me more, show me more. And right. he will. And he doesn't have to be afraid
0: and i think you hit it right on the head i think people are scared which is funny because i think it's the i think that the people who stand who view themselves as standing really firmly on the scriptures but it's but it's those people i think in my experience who are afraid to dive into them deeper and i think there's a there's a fear of you know projecting our own desires onto the scriptures and and that is totally a valid fear but again that's why we study that's why we uh, run everything by the holy spirit that 's why we you know surround ourselves with people who are smarter than us who can help guide yeah. us and um, I also want to I also want to say one more thing about this before we before we move on, but we 've gone on a little rabbit trail here about scripture, but I love it. I think that studying the Bible requires a lot of humility mm-hmm. i have I have found that you know the people who want to say this verse means exactly this and only this, um, to me, there's so much arrogance in that statement as if the Holy spirit could not, as if this text doesn't have layers of meaning as if this person has, you know, the one true and all and be all interpretation. I just, I find so much, uh, I find that so much humility is needed to say, I, I kind of approach the Bible like this. I kind of say, okay, uh, I am, Almost certainly wrong about some things that I believe about the Bible, about my faith in general. There are, I mean, it's an almost certainty. And I think I try to approach it with okay, if there's a verse in the Bible that I think is super clear, that probably means that I need to study it more because there's probably another layer of meaning than just the surface of what I just pulled off of it uh, with my
1: American English translation. So um, yeah. you know, I have it's funny that you say that because I I've, have said and I know um, the same thing that if I have, you know, one tenth of a percent of things right about God, um, that'll be even amazing. And, you know, most of most of what I have is wrong. And most of what everyone has is wrong. And all we, you know, we're put here on earth to seek him and to try to love him. And if we're all doing that earnestly, you know, how much of it we get right here and now doesn't even really matter that much. We, I think we do need to try to filter every single word of the Bible through the person of Christ, because he is the revela- revelation of God. And when we see him, we see the father Amen. and that he came to provide clarity to who God is over and over again, he says, you know, that what God says we're to listen to him. So, you know, everything we read needs to be filtered. Okay, who is, remember who Jesus is, remember who Jesus is, remember who Jesus is, what does this passage mean? And why is it here?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that was awesome. I love that we took that little bunny trail into scripture and (laughs) I love it. And um, so I want to bring it back to your story because I want to know when you started, like, let's go back to the, back at like 20 minutes ago. So (laughs) when um, we were talking about uh, when you guys were coming out to friends and family, um, so did your church or Christian friends and family so let's, let's bring it back because you told me about your parents. Let's talk about your church at large and, and other Christian friends. Did they react in a hurtful way or a helpful way to your sexuality? Um, have you felt pushed away at all by the church at large? Maybe not your home church, but, you know, tell me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, it was extremely painful because, as I mentioned, I was very, very involved with the church. The priest was my best friend um, and his, and his wife. And I were very good friends. they didn't know how to deal with divorce, let alone the confusion about whatever was happening with Diane and I at the time and those perceptions. There was another woman who um, was leaving the church at the time because they were so upset about her divorcing now, my divorce, you know my separation and everything the church kind of understood because they had been with me through a bunch of hard times and knew a lot of the story of what had been happening for years. And so I didn't get much flack. Diane on the other hand, the rector's council met with her and basically said that the reason that the marriage was not that basically that if she had the right attitude that she could make the marriage work and that she mm-hmm. should get back together with her husband. Her ex was still attending that church, he was involved with a men's group and you know he kept going and which was obviously very uncomfortable for her they were no longer living together. And when mine, um, as I mentioned, my marriage ended explosively, I had nowhere to go. I had to, I had to leave. And um, so I moved in with her. So uh, then, boom, the church does not kind of loses its mind, does not know what to do, does not know what to think, freaks out. Um, And uh, so we were planning to, to find another church, we stopped going there on Sundays, but we were going on Wednesday evenings when like, six or seven people would come because they had a a, a Eucharist, a communion service on Wednesday nights. So we would go to that one because we wanted to still get communion while we were looking for another church. Um, And the priest who had been my friend um, asked us to stop coming because it would be disruptive for the body is what he said. So we were devastated. And meanwhile, you know, there was other trauma because the women that Diane had been in all these women's groups, you know, some of them were like, you need to get back with your husband, be a Proverbs 31 wife, blah, blah, blah. Um, and there was a lot of that that was just wrenchingly painful um, for her and for me. But, you know, she had, she had more of those relationships than I did. Um, so, you know, they handled it badly and there's a, there was a, Uh, turns out she's a transgender woman. At at that time, she hadn't been um, uh, uh, living authentically. Um, And when she started to, at that same church, a couple years after we left, they asked her to leave because they didn't want her to be coming there wearing women's clothes and and presenting her identity authentically to herself. Um, Oh my gosh, I
0: just want to pause there real quick because so I mean, I'm just processing this. So you the priest, the spiritual leader of this, of this family asked you to stop coming to church yes. and, and asked your transgender friend to leave. I mean, let me just, <laughs> because, okay, if, if there's people, there's going to be people listening to this who don't agree with being gay or being transgender, but right. the thing is, if you are a believer in Jesus and you believe that, you know, and you want, if you're a believer in Jesus, you probably want other people to know Jesus. <laughs> That's kind of part of part of the deal. So what in the world, what on earth could be served? What purpose could be served by telling them to get out? Just, oh, just go. Th- you're not welcome here. In what world is that helpful for, even if you believe that this person is wrong and living their life in the wrong way, why would you, <laughs> I just don't, I don't know. I'm not... <laughs>
1: Well, I think it's, you know, there's biblical foundation for it is you put the, the unbeliever, the disobedient one or whatever outside the gates, you know, there's biblical, uh, there's, there's, yeah, there's, there's reasons in the scriptures that they can use to support what they're doing.
0: I just don't understand why you wouldn't want that person, like, I would think that you would want that person to come more often and say, hey, let's. If you really believe that this person is is living their life in a way that's going to send them to hell, as you said, I mean, wouldn't that make you want to invite them to everything that's happening at church? Oh man, that just yeah, kills me. I, I
1: think it's I think it's fear again. I think it's like, what are we going to do if we're in this socially, um conservative church structure? If all these gay people start coming, what do we do? How do we handle that? Right? Oh. Ooh. Um, and this, this, you know, my transgender friend, I'm not sure if they asked him, asked her to stop coming. I think they asked her to stop wearing um, women's clothes when she came. That's oh, okay. my understanding. Yeah. Which, I mean, still, it's like, how dare you? How dare you tell anyone what to wear?
0: But they asked you to stop coming. That's yes. what you said. I mean, that that is just crazy to me. It's like, you know, if you believe that somebody needs needs Jesus and needs help. I just I don't understand why you would take that away from them. You know what I mean?
1: Well and the thing was that we had we weren't there on Sundays. We were there we were just coming when it was a handful of people, like literally yeah. maybe five, six, seven people. And he knew that we were coming just to receive the Eucharist, you know, communion. When you I, I told you that I my formation was this largely Roman Catholic thing. So for me, the Eucharist is the source and summit of the faith it's the it's receiving christ himself right and to be told that mm-hmm. you know you can't do that wow um was, was devastating yeah. wow yes yeah, it, it was really painful there was a lot of tears
0: <laughs> oh my goodness that just i'm so sorry that happened to you ah, well thank
1: you yeah you know it's been a lot of water under the bridge since then so and it's all it's all good god is You know, God works all things to the good, for sure.
0: Yes, for sure. So I think you were in the middle of telling me (laughs) kind of how your church treated you. How do you think that the church and Christianity at large kind of, how do you think that they view LGBTQ people right now at this point in history?
1: I believe firmly that we are in the midst of a new reformation. Because there are things happening on every front, I think, within Christianity. You've got a Pope who is more pushing the boundaries and making social justice an issue that that he speaks about regularly, which is beautiful. And it's crossing, I think it's tearing down walls between Catholicism and some other denominational lines. I think it's happening in social justice when it comes to things like the racial problems we're having in our country and stuff like that. I think that what's happening at the highest levels in Washington, and the scandals and the you know the horror stories of some of what we're seeing from this evangelical base of um, various—I don't want to name any particular candidates or position holders—but there's that, you know, scandal after scandal that's exposing some deep-rooted hypocrisy, and I think that people who have been evangelical are are forced to look at that and say, what is going on? The, you know, the people who are really of good heart and who sincerely want to follow Christ are are being faced with some stuff that's happening in the evangelical um, sort of stream that is not good. And meanwhile, you've got the LGBTQ reformation as well. So there's, there's all this transformation that's happening on, on all of those fronts at once, which I think is part of an overall reformation so within as far as the lgbtq inclusion um particularly i think that it's there's great leaps being made forward i think there's a lot of of thought leaders coming out of the evangelical base that are are saying wait a minute and and that are investigating and i think more and more people are bravely coming out and, instead of closeting and so more Christians are having are rubbing shoulders, are rubbing hearts, are rubbing, you know, spending time with people they love who are gay and or or whatever on the spectrum. And those Christians have a chance to experience God in a new way. You know, it mm. Jesus is Emmanuel, Christ with God with us. And and I think that God comes to a lot of people in ways not just like the beaten up Samaritan or the beaten up um, person on the road who the Samaritan helps, but, you know, this unclean, right? The, all these stories of the unclean coming to Jesus that he touches. Well, you know, we unclean people are coming into the lives of good Christians and they're having to evaluate what their thinking is. So I think that there's massive change underway. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also massive resistance. You know, there's there's people putting driving in the stakes and saying, no way, no how. But I think that that's becoming sort of a the dinosaur position that just, you know, the meteor is is spinning towards the planet and um, they're not going to survive. And Christianity is going to take a big hit if they don't start walking Jesus's walk.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, to those people who would say you, you mentioned the unclean coming into, you know, coming into the church and rubbing shoulders with Christian people. You know what? We are all unclean. <laughs> All of us, we are all sinners, and if we don't recognize that, we're already in a theological mess. And also, uh, Brene Brown, have you do you have you read any of her stuff?
1: No, but you know, this is the second recommendation I've heard of her of this week. So I'm thinking I
0: need to look. She is wonderful. She's a, a social scientist and a she's Dr. Brene Brown. She's a researcher um, in the social science field. And she has done a ton of awesome work into looking into shame and fear and belonging and risk and how to really live a full healthy life. And one of the things that she says that I just love is she says people are hard to hate close up. So when it comes to, I think a lot of people who are afraid maybe of, of gay folks, they might not know anybody who's gay and they might just have this mental picture of, you know, somebody who is, who has corrupt morals and who wants to corrupt our nation and all these things. I mean, you've heard the narrative, um, about the gay agenda and just just being afraid of, of the culture and never really knowing anybody who's going through figuring out that they're gay or who is gay and secure in that, you know, they, they might just not know better. I think a huge part, right. And I think a huge part of it is, is definitely, yeah, getting people together and under the same roof or in the same spaces and just recognizing that, we are just people and we are all sinners. We are all a mess and Jesus loves us anyway. And that's what it's really all about. I'll tell you one quick story <laughs> about this. So um, when I was a social worker, I'll have to take names out of this, you know, for obvious reasons. But when I was a social worker, I um, I worked with foster kids and families and I was in, was part of my job was place children that would come into foster care and I would place them with a the family. And I had this sibling group once. It was a very large sibling group on my caseload. And this family was very, before the children were removed, was very active. And the first place I went was the church and said, hey, would any families, you know, be open to taking in these kiddos? And a few families said yes, and that was wonderful. And there were a couple kids who did not get placed with church families. So then I looked outward into the into the foster system for families. I ended up placing uh, one child with a gay couple who were absolutely wonderful people, super stable, fantastic individuals. And another one of the families from the church got really upset. And um, the mom was just, I mean, she really like ripped me a new one and was like, how can you place him in a place that's totally different from his upbringing and his moral standards? The kiddo was, you know, a kid. He had, he, he didn't care. Um, But, you know, to her, this was a huge problem because of the church that they went to. And the tradition that the child was raised in. And I was just like, you know, ma'am, I mean, these 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 people have taken this child in and have, you know, given him a, a place to stay for right now. And that to us is more important, you know, and, and she just went on and on. And the funniest thing is now, months later, I mean, I think it's been over a year at this point. Uh, she now uh, is friends with this couple, with this gay couple. And they, they have had so many meetings together and so many, you know, they're on the same team with regard to these siblings and they've gotten, they've gotten close now. And so they talk and it's, it's just been so beautiful to see that transition and it's because they got to know each other. And I mean, people are really hard to hate close up. Renee Brown is correct. So I think, I think you're absolutely right. We need more spaces where, people can just get together and, and realize that, Hey, you know, we're not enemies. We're just people and we're just people who are trying to follow Jesus.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that that's the key and some people it happens to without any choice, right? It, it, you have a family member or whatever. Um, in my case, it was myself. <laughs> You're forced to investigate and, and, and pray and all those things. But um, yeah. Yeah, more exposure is a good thing. So,
0: ha- okay, so you mentioned that it was rough with your church. Did their reaction toward your sexuality? Did it ever shake your faith, your personal faith? Did it ever make you think, "Oh gosh, you know, what if, what if they're right? What if?" Did it ever do anything negative to your faith?
1: No, because my relationship with Diane from the very beginning had had. God at the center from our friendship. She started attending through a Bible study where we prayed together. We studied the scriptures together. You know, we, we talked about God together. Everything that our friendship was based on was, was centered on God. So, and, and there was all this confirmation and, and weird, you know, God stuff that had, had confirmed in addition to that. And so, you know, their, their response couldn't shake it. I mean, my relationship with Diane has made my relationship with God closer. I feel so blessed. I mean, I feel God's favor so much more than I ever did. So, you know, just talking about it makes me want to cry because I feel so incredibly blessed. I mean, she has, my relationship with her has allowed me to blossom into the ministry that I and the person that I was supposed to become creatively, productively all those things and I always felt sort of unacceptable to God or not worthy kind of that there's always this separation between me and God because of I don't know I I don't even know what but in my you know now compared to before I was in relationship with Diane now I feel comfortable. I feel loved. I feel appreciated by God. I mean, not just by her, because I do feel it from her, but by God, because it's like, how could he, he gave me this gift. I feel incredibly blessed and paid attention to by God, you know? So it wow. couldn't shake that because our relationship was so founded on God. And, I and mean, we talk about God every single day in and out of the day. We talk about various scripture passages or whatever in and out of every day, things that we're studying. And, and and we lift every decision that we have to God. You know, we want our path to always be al- as best aligned to his as we can. So, you know, and that has been what our relationship was built on. And so mm-hmm. no one else's judgments of us could ever shake that because we know what it is. You know, we know what our relationship with God is. So
0: it seems like she almost gave you a tangible picture of God's love toward you
1: as well. Yes. Yes. And you know, the amazing thing is we were, we were talking today and she was saying that she feels like her love for me is the most God like love that she's ever experienced. You know, loving your kids is a a view of it, but she said her love because she feels like it's such a supernatural thing that she, she loves me without conditions and, and, without boundaries. And, and she sees me deeply. And so she feels like her love for me gives has given her a better insight into how God loves than any other love she's had before.
0: Oh, and that's, that's so wonderful. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's,
1: that's what relationships
0: are supposed to do.
1: <laughs> right.
0: So what is one thing that you wish people knew about being LGBTQ that they don't seem to understand?
1: Well, the first is that, you know, people are just people and we're just people. And, you know, people are can be people of faith. They can be not people of faith. They they can be total irresponsible, you know, creeps. or they can be wonderful, selfless, you know, heroes. It's just sexual orientation or gender identity have nothing to do with a person's character or their moral structure or their intellect or their spiritual depth. None of it has nothing to do with that. Um, that's number one. And number two is, you know, this idea of promiscuity is something that I heard recently that needs to be debunked, that promiscuity and uh, homosexuality are, are not like somehow intrinsically connected. And I, I just want to talk about this for a minute because I think it's important. And I was not part of the movement in the sixties. And when all this stuff started to explode with um, sort of gay rights and everything. And I feel like I'm not educated in this either. Um, And so I hope I'm not offensive to any gay people who are listening, but I think that when the gay rights movement started and particularly when males who formerly would have been put in jail or in some cases executed or whatever, when they started coming out that there was a bit of a pendulum effect of just saying, you know what? We can't be accepted. Then we're just going to live in love and have sex. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, there might be a little background noise. There's a train going by, so I'm trying to move where it's quieter. That's okay. okay. So anyway, I, 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 like I said, I feel unqualified, and I'm not trying to merge into dangerous territory where I wasn't part of something to speak about it. But I think that there was a wave of people who had felt so persecuted saying, you know what, we're just going to live. And then that was, it was happening during the sexual revolution, right? So straight people started having sex like crazy um, in a, in, you know, outside of committed relationship. And it was all part of this social thing that was happening at once as a whole. And I think that somehow that, has created a perception that homosexuals are somehow promiscuous and there's this rampant perverted sexuality, right? At least I, you know, I've heard that perception and that people are driven by lust, right? They're, the gay people are driven by lust and that it's not love, it's lust. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just not the case. I mean, if you turn on any sitcom that's on you know, mainstream television, the heterosexuality the heterosexual promiscuity is crazy you know the hookup culture is like super dominant and sex is being turned into this view of kind of like scratching an itch or Mm -hmm. um you know other uh, bodily functions that are just some physical necessity rather than being viewed as the sacred gift of god and so you know this idea that uh, promiscuity is is it belongs to the gay culture or that there is even a gay culture um, I think is a myth that needs to be tossed out the window
0: yeah, I think that that is a really um pervasive belief. I think that a lot of people do believe that who are you know outside the gay community looking in, and I also think again, to those people who believe that gay culture has this inherent promiscuity and if you're gay, that means you sleep around, I would say to those people who think that, you know, that is just more reason to be welcoming as believers to the gay community. Because if you, if you believe that, you would, presumably, you would want people to know that there is a better way and that sex is a sacred gift from God. So that's right. another reason not to alienate people who are different from us, um, right. which, me- which kind of brings me to my next question, which is, so you have lived through quite a story of kind of feeling pushed out, unwelcome by the church, who flat out asked you to stop coming to the church. I mean, what more of a rejection could you get? Um, right. <laughs> so I would like to ask you who you since you've lived through that, how can we do better? The church at large. How can we do better at welcoming LGBTQ people who are
1: interested in God into the church? I gave that a lot of thought. I attended a, a panel um, a month or so ago of transgender people, and one of the questions was, what can we do, what can church do to make you feel more included? You know, bathrooms, having a bathroom that's not male or female, but that's both, oh. is, a, is, is a big thing because people... Are you know very uncomfortable? This is a time when they're most vulnerable, needing to use the facilities and and having to put themselves in somewhere that doesn't make sense for, you know, for who they are is is a challenge and puts can put them at risk potentially not so much in churches but um in other spaces. So I wrote this article that kind of summarized some of those things, but um, there one that we've been to some churches where people look because we try to act in church the way we would act in other public spaces. I would normally put my arm around my wife if I'm sitting next to her, or she would mind, we'd hold hands, whatever. We try to act as if we would normally act. And so I think part is to be aware of the staring, you know, that people, and I think this is a big problem for transgender people who may not look the way people expect people to look. And, you know, the, being aware of those looks, I think just like, let's say it's a stranger that these, you know, you've, you've got someone comes in, it's a couple going and greeting them, welcoming them, smiling large and saying hello and acknowledging, acknowledging their presence, you know, and then then once if they've been there a while, including them, it's it's one thing, this is one thing I heard at the transgender panel, it's one thing to be welcoming and to say, Oh, yeah, sure. Come on in. It's another to have them included in the worship that you know if you've got communion servers including people who are are gay or are gender non-binary or in doing things and being greeters and you know teaching bible studies if if that's what they're interested in or you know obviously you need to prove who people are and they've got to be there for a while and that you know you don't just sign someone up because they happen to walk through the door no matter what their orientation or their gender identification but so those are a couple things you know one is being actively welcoming I think that we don't do a good job of that as churches generally if a, if a stranger comes in you know we're, we're varyingly good at that uh-huh. but if it's someone who seems to be marginalized a marginalized group um, and that goes for race or anything else disability as well to go and reach out to them talk to them yeah. Um, and and make them feel like they are just a normal person because they are. Yeah. I
0: think that's huge. And that's really the whole reason behind why I'm doing this podcast series. It's, you know, it's called, you can sit with us. And it's about how I really believe that the church should be the kid in the cafeteria standing up and saying, Hey, you over here, you can sit with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, really, I mean, wouldn't that be great in church if, Let's say, you know, a transgender person walks through the door that you – visibly transgender person walks through the door. Wouldn't it be so wonderful if five people who go to the church came up to them and said, hey, do you you know anybody here? Do you want to come sit with us? Um, That would be great.
1: That's a great image.
0: um, Yeah. And that's kind of my vision for this podcast, that it would inspire – just the series that it would inspire people to – to be more welcoming of people who historically haven't felt welcome at church, because I mean, really, here's the thing that I do want to express. It's that, you know, there might be people listening who still after our entire conversation, they're thinking, well, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with the way that somebody, you know, whoever lives their life. But the thing is, you don't have to agree with everything that some, everything that's going on in someone's life to be welcoming to them in Christ. We can still have theological disagreements. We can still, ha- we can talk about that, but that's not a reason to make somebody feel like they're not welcome in Jesus because Jesus never said no to anybody. Everybody was welcome in Jesus. Right. And um, we all have our stuff. We all have our, our stuff that we struggle with. And I'm sure that none of us would like to be turned away from church because of those things. <laughs> yeah. So I love, I love that you said that. So I, uh, you're a writer. I want you to tell people about your book, tell people how, how can they find you online? How can they find your stuff?
1: Yeah. So I have a couple of books out. I've got a couple of kids books that are, um, that are the title of the first one is Rumple Pimple. It sounds just like it. I mean, it's spelled just like it sounds rumple Pimple. And those are just a little adventure books, um, about a, a little doggy hero who gets himself in trouble trying to do the right thing. So um, those are the Rumpel Pimple books. And then I have um, a devotional called Where True Love Is. It's focused on exploring passages that open help open our eyes about this conversation we're having now about how God views LGBTQ people and how we should all be approaching the issue. So that's called where True love is. It starts out with um, talking about who God is and what scriptures are, and then moves into all sorts of things and Ooh. eventually uh, kind of culminating in sexuality and gender. But, you know, having to have that foundation of God and the scriptures beforehand and, and how Jesus views sinners, as you were saying, all that kind of stuff. And people can um, find that on Amazon. That's on Amazon. You can go to where love is.com. Um, to find links. And there's a blog there. And I'm working on my second devotional in that series that's for, it's called Transfigured. And that's going to be for genderqueer and um, transgender people. So that should be out in June, June or July.
0: Wow, that's close. It's coming up I quick. Know.
1: Very excited. I've got that's a couple of so events, exciting. so we're trying to get them ready in time.
0: That is so wonderful. And I'm so excited that you could chat with me today. And I hope that people will hear your story and take away something productive and and that we would really be some small part of transforming the church into a more welcoming place.
1: Amen. I really appreciate what you're doing. This is a great series.
0: Well, thank you. Um, all right. Well, you have a wonderful rest of your day. I think we're gonna, we're gonna leave there. So, (laughs) um, it was so wonderful to talk to you, Suzanne.
1: Terrific. And I look forward to hearing, uh, all of the, all of your guests in this series. Thanks a lot, Katie.
0: Yeah. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you.